0: Hello, Marvel Lights, you are listening to This Week in Marvel episode number 590. I'm Ryan Panago, aka Agent M.
1: And I'm the Cupid of Marvel, Lorraine Sink. Oh, love is in the air. It was Valentine's Day week. Ryan, did you have a nice Valentine's Day?
0: Catherine had a fever on Valentine's Day, so oh, she no. couldn't go to school. And so that tossed all of our plans out the window. We were going to have a nice Valentine's Day family dinner. Out And so we canceled those plans and she just stayed at home and watched cartoons and rested up. But we did give her a whole bunch of like little lovey type jewelry. So like with hearts and stuff, because she loves playing with jewelry. And so she was very excited by that in the morning. It was fine. How was yours?
1: We exchanged some little gifties. We ate something nice for dinner. And uh, that's about it hashtag we're married <laughs> it was it was nice but you know this isn't just a podcast about love and romance
0: no love and romance is officially over oh after valentine's day but of course this is the official marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in marvel from games comics movies tv or whatever we're excited about and we've got not one not two, but three guests from Marvel's newest animated series, Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, on the show today.
1: Before we get into that, let's talk about Sinama, I believe is how it's pronounced. Um, the, the movies. As they might say, of course, you know what week it is. Marvel Studios Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania has officially come to theaters. Go get yourself in there. Get your eyes open. Get to watching. Get your ears open. Get to listening. It's such a great film. Please, if you haven't already, go get your tickets. And of course, if you want clothes or toys or other cool stuff based on the film, we have a really great article on Marvel.com about some of the must-haves all around Ant-Man and the Wasp. And of course, if you'd like some deep dives into Kang in the comics and a little bit more about his conquering history, definitely go check that out. We've also got both on the site and on Marvel Unlimited, so you can dive into some of them comic books. And of course, there are a ton of trailers and promo pieces and posters and images and details to get you hyped over on the Marvel YouTube channel and Marvel.com. It is such a fun film, and I cannot wait. Yeah. I cannot wait for another week or two when we're allowed to actually talk about it here on the show a little bit more in full, because it is a ding dang delight.
0: It's a true Triple D. So much fun. Uh, I'm so excited for the world to experience it. Get your butt to a theater. Put that butt in the seat, but then ride the wave that is... Quantumania, baby. (laughs) Let's get into another bit of Marvel Studios action with Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 because, of course, we've got a brand new trailer. Whether or not you watched The Big Game last Sunday, I'm sure, if you're listening to the show, have seen the new trailer for the film, and if you have not, well, what are you doing? Knock it off! What?
2: I just never noticed how black your eyes were.
0: They were replaced by my father as a method of torture. He... He picked a pretty set. It's so good. Watch the full trailer on Marvel.com or Marvel's YouTube page, of course. Get excited for the movie to come out in May. We're so close, so close. There's also a new poster for the film. We've gotten some teases of different things, more toys to come, a whole bunch of stuff. Of course, it's in theaters May 5th, 2023.
1: Yay! I can't wait. So much Marvel goodness. While we're on the studio's train, quick reminder, Marvel Studios' Black Panther Wakanda Forever is now available on Disney+, and it is in IMAX enhanced, baby! You can also get the film now on Blu-ray with exclusive bonus content, including deleted scenes, a gag reel, audio commentary by filmmakers Ryan Coogler, Joe Robert Cole, and Autumn gerald Arcapa, and there's some really great featurettes on there, some about the making of the film through the lens of leadership of Ryan Kugler and, of course, Hannah Beekler and costume designer Ruth Carter, who are all phenomenal um, creatives on the film, as well as passing the mantle and talking about the evolution of the Black Panther from uh, T'Challa to Shuri and um, what that all looks like. And, of course, over on Marvel.com, you can download a printable cover for the film drawn by Torin Clark. Super cool piece of art. So definitely check that out.
0: Also, of course, this week, we've got some exciting stuff about Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, the adorable, wonderful, very funny and exciting show launched last week on Disney Channel and this week premiered on Disney+. Plus. So stay tuned. More episodes both on Disney Channel and Disney Plus to come. But Lorraine, you talked to some of the folks involved with the show.
1: Yeah, I got to catch up with Diamond White and Fred Tatasciore, who are... Respectively, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur on the series to talk about the show, and uh, let's hear that right now. In fact. Hey, it's so great to see you again, Fred. Diamond, so lovely to meet you. Um, Welcome to the Marvel Universe. We here at Marvel, we love Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur for many, many years. But Diamond, you're the new star in the Marvel Universe. So why don't you kick us off?
3: Okay. well, I play Lunella, a.k.a. Moon Girl, the first Marvel Black teenage girl superhero, which is really fun um she along with devil protects the lower east side of new york and what drew me to this character was the representation of it all i'm so happy to be playing a character that shows me what i needed as a just a younger black woman so I'm really excited about this
4: role. Yeah. That's actually one of the things, too, that draws me just to this project is just what she said. It's just like the, what this is all about. It's so great. As far as Devil Dinosaur, it's her 10-ton family member, a big T-Rex, who is a force of nature. He's tough. who's driven by his appetite. And, you know, he absolutely loves Lunella and would do anything for her. And he is, they're a partnership and a family though he's tough he's a expert he loves art and music and he's a great cuddler <laughs> and he loves hot dogs and, and uh and food but he's uh, he's kind of a, a nice good boy scout at heart he actually just wants to do the right thing and help people and he came from a very very tough world and so he's happy to be in new york <laughs> and <laughs> with his new family
1: it sounds like you guys had a ton of fun recording. We got to catch up with voice director Sam Regal. Um, what was it like for you folks to to be in the booth and get to develop these characters and, and work with the
3: cast? Ooh, it's been uh, very fun. I really only get to work with Libe, who plays my best friend Casey. But when we're in the booth, there's so many unscripted lines that I think shine through in the episodes to come but it's really fun. And Fred, I'm so sad that we've never gotten to work together. I know.
4: (laughs) I know. And that may change, you know, Uh, because I love the chemistry that you guys have together. You and uh, Libe, you and Casey, you know, that it really shows. For me, a lot of it is, and again, working with Sam is just amazing. our, Our voice director, it's basically like playing a very strange instrument. I go in and I I read the script and I I get the line of what I'm supposed to say or what I think I'm supposed to say. And then we'll say like, you know, Casey, I gotta go to the store. And I will then say, (laughs) or, (laughs) and then even shorter, (laughs) you know, and, and try to get the emotion involved, whatever that is. So we usually do about three or four takes, five takes per, line and then just sort of mix and match and see what works and usually we're reducing it down you know so i would love to be in there working because we could do even more but i get a lot from their performances you know and uh so it's been really working in this room basically through the whole pandemic (laughs) it's just been me, you know making sounds and uh trying to interpret you know
1: Well, the fun is very palpable in the series. It's a delight to watch. And I do think, you know, Diamond, as you were saying, it's going to be pretty life-changing for a lot of young girls, for a lot of people who get to experience this show. What are you folks most excited for, you know, young people and people of all ages to enjoy?
3: Well, I'm super excited about just for like I said all the young girls seeing the representation of someone of their skin tone of their hair texture but also I think it's cool the to bring the message of the one girl can make a difference because that is very true and that warms my heart and I'm super excited for kids to get into like quantum physics and like STEM programs. And especially if I had something like this growing up, I would probably be the biggest nerd ever, mm-hmm. but it'd be so cool for me to know about quantum physics and STEM. Like, oh my God.
4: Yeah. I'm going to backpack on that one. Cause it's true. Science is cool. And you know, you get to learn this and, and from this, are you kidding? This is a nerd is the hero, the coolest, the smartest person in the Marvel universe is this brilliant girl. And so I love the fact that we break it down. I love that she explains what happens and we actually visually are seeing the explanations drawn out, animated in front of us, which is very, very cool. And the other thing I'm excited about is everything in this show, including the art, the music, the writing, the animation, all takes a front seat. It's all supporting each other. So, the whole thing is a really big, wonderful experience you're watching. And music is driving the science, and the explanation is being animated in front of you, and the emotions are shown as emojis. And it's just, it looks like that New York style art, Basquiat, you know, (laughs) street art that's animated. It's so different. So, I'm very excited for people to experience this show, too on that level. And as a kid, I would, same thing. I was a nerd and I'd be even more of a nerd.
1: (laughs) I can't wait either. I hope you guys are prepared to see lots of little kids dressed up as you folks at (laughs) Comic-Con and Halloween. (laughs) Hold on to your hats, folks. Um, Thank you so much for giving some time to talk with us at This Week in Marvel. It's been lovely and congrats on the series. Thank
4: you so much.
0: Coming up later in the show, we'll talk with voice director Sam Regal, the one that Diamond and Fred were just talking about, and he's going to really get us in deep and behind the scenes on putting together the animated series.
1: All right, that conversation is coming up in just a little bit, but hey, it's a big year. There's a lot going on, but shout out to Avengers Beyond Earth's Mightiest. It is the 60th anniversary of Earth's Mightiest Heroes, and in order to honor all of that Avengery goodness, we're celebrating all year long with a lineup of new comics, collectibles, toys, apparels, accessory, home decor, party items, stationery, and video series, experiences, just you want it, you got it, get an Avenger. And to kick off the celebration, near and dear to my heart, because I work on it all the time, Marvel HQ, our family friendly YouTube channel, is premiering two all new short form series. One is Marvel's Avengers Stunt Squad, and the second is Marvel Mech Strike Mechasaurs. So, right now, you can go and watch the first short featuring Tony Stark facing off against Ryan's favorite MODOK in some cute Mm -hmm. little Avenger shorts. They're super duper adorable called Stunt Squad. And then if you guys are familiar at all, Mech Strike has been going on for a while on Marvel HQ. And the newest iteration is Mechosaurs, in which the Avengers get big mech dinosaurs. It rocks. It's so fun. I cannot wait for everybody to experience it. That's going to be kicking off in March and going throughout the year. And, of course, you can watch Avengers content of all kinds throughout 2023 and beyond over on YouTube.com slash Marvel HQ. And there's going to be some, of course, Avengers comics coming. Yeah,
0: of course, you know, May, we're getting a brand new Avengers number one written by Jed McKay, who's been doing just incredible work on a number of series, including Moon Knight and drawn by Marvel Stormbreaker artist CF Via, whose X-Men stuff has been really, really good. Uh, but this new era is going to have Captain Marvel leading the team. You've got Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, Black Panther, Scarlet Witch and Vision. We actually have some pages from the comic book on Marvel.com. So if you want to get a little preview of it, go check that out, too.
1: yeah. Also, there are going to be some great Marvel books in bookstores this month in particular. Marvel Studios, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings has a new book called The Art of the Movie, which is on sale February 21st. I love these Marvel Studios books that show off, you know, some of the art process and and the work that goes into the behind the scenes of the film and the design and creation especially with visual development and beyond. It's really phenomenal. If you love art, if you love film, these books are for you. They're beautiful.
0: There's a new young adult novel out from Marvel. It is The Winter Soldier Cold Front. You can get that right now. It's written by New York Times bestselling author Mackenzie Lee. Really diving into the youth of James Bucky Barnes and sort of what he is forced to become as the Winter Soldier. Uh, It's pretty cool. Stay tuned also because we're going to have Mackenzie back on the show. She's been on before. We're going to have her here on This Week of Marvel pretty soon.
1: Yeah, um, she's done some really great stuff with Gamora and Nebula, as well as Loki in Marvel YA books. So definitely look out for that. Plus, shout out that She-Hulk has a little golden book, and I have to get it immediately. It's so
4: cute. It's so
0: cute looking. Oh love the little golden books uh, we got a ton here at the house for katherine and there's one more book we wanted to spotlight which is marvel's avengers script to page which comes out at the end of the month february 28th this one is really neat especially for anybody who's curious or like wants to get into writing comics this mm-hmm. is about writing comics the marvel way which can be done very many ways there are scripts in the book and commentary from writers and editors you got people like. Al Ewing who's been you know Immortal Hulk and a ton of other books Jonathan Hickman who helped redefine the X-Men recently Mark Miller who wrote The Ultimates and and so much more and Mark Wade who is truly one of the goats so there's a lot of really cool stuff in there it focuses on the Avengers so you're going to stories with Captain America, Iron Man, Black Widow and more there's some really neat stuff in there between the scripts and the commentary to give you a sense of how a Marvel comic story is made so Really, definitely suggest that to anybody who's curious about the craft.
1: I want it. Um, and of course, that's on sale February 28th. I'm sure most of these books are available to pre-order. Go grab them wherever books are sold. They're going to all be excellent. On to comics. We've been talking about May quite a bit, and no exception here, because it's the summer of symbiotes. May is kicking it off hard with Extreme Venomverse number two. That's going to be on sale May 24th, written by Al Ewing, who we are just talking about. Great list of artists. But the summer of symbiotes is going to be exciting. So we're just going to have to sit around and wait until we can witness what happens when Felicia Hardy slips into her very own symbiote in this title. You can also revisit Marvel 1602 with Clay McLeod Chapman and Paul Davidson as they introduce the creepiest Venom ever. Then Dave Pepos and Ken Lashley are going to introduce a twist on the LMV a.k.a. the life model Venom. Get into it. Lots of cool stuff happening there in the Summer of Symbiotes, which I just think is fun to say.
0: Saucy Summer of Symbiotes. Ooh, ooh, ooh. One of the promos that we got this week was a little tease for Amazing Spider-Man, and it says, This May, Zeb Wells and John Romita Jr.'s run of Amazing Spider-Man reaches a startling unexpected climax and conclusion to its first year don't miss two oversized monumental amazing spider-man issues with 25 out may 10th and the heartbreaking number 26 out may 31st the most shocking issue of amazing spider-man in 50 years what do
1: you think happens ryan
0: uh they eat pancakes Mm. it's it's 40 pages shocking but of pancakes you know why it's so shocking Spider-Man's what? supposed to eat wheat cakes. Dun 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 mm. dun bum bum. How about that? We we won't question it. Nope, we will not. Also, don't question the fact that we are rolling on doing so many cool Infinity Comics over on Marvel Unlimited. Just a little little quick shout out because one of my besties, Alex Segura, has a brand new arc of Avengers Unlimited Infinity Comics. He's writing it with artist Jim Toe. The little synopsis for the first issue is, The Disappearance of Moon Knight draws Captain America and Spider-Woman to a remote town. And then, you know, you follow along from there. But it's cool to get a, an Avenger story with... You know, you don't always think of Moon Knight or Spider-Woman as Avengers, though they have been Avengers for a very long time. So mm-hmm. he gets to pull in them and do some other characters. <laughs> he's got some really interesting characters that he's bringing into it uh, as he does his story. Um, and Alex will be a guest on our other show, Marvel's Pull List, real soon, talking about some Spidey 2099 stuff, which would be real fun. Nice. I just wanted to note also this week, John Favreau got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Our own Happy Hogan. Good for him. So
1: nice and Robert Downey Jr was there with him
0: which just felt like chef's kiss so sweet. Wonderful. Like that's sweet. I like that. You know what I also like? My other Hmm. show, Marvel's Pull This Podcast, it's the show where we talk about all the comics out every week. Our picks for this week, the books I want you to go get, are Marvel's Voices Wakanda Forever number one, Fantastic Four number four, and X-Men number 19. All really, really good issues. And then for this week's Reading Club, where we pick a book in Marvel Unlimited and talk about it and tell you why you gotta check it out and give some spoilers and fun stuff, we have current Marvel Comics editor Darren Shan on to dig into Daredevil King of Hell's Kitchen, which is issues 56 through 60 of the volume that began in 1998. This story arc is written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Alex Malev, and it is a banger. It is so good. Maybe you listen to the podcast, you find out why it's so dang good. Of course, you can get new episodes of Marvel's Pull List every Tuesday. Listen on the SiriusXM app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right. Well, coming up soon, we have that chat with Sam Regal about directing the talented voices of Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur.
0: We'll be back after this. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to This Week at Marvel. I'm Ryan Panagos.
1: Sink and let's get into it.
0: Yeah, because this week we have on Sam Regal, who is the voice director for Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, but he's also done a ton of other stuff. He even has a deeper Marvel connection that we're going to get into in our conversation with him. But he—he he was great. We was just a real fun chat and done some great work, and clearly, really is having a blast on Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, which you're going to hear about right now.
1: All right, Ryan, you know I am so excited for today because we have on not just the voice director of Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, but also one of my favorites from Critical Role and The Legends of Mox back in the- hi, hi Sam Regal. how are you?
0: Hi, it's me Sam Regal. great to meet you both. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Lorraine, you've been a buzz about this. Oh which, yeah, which is great. But we're also a buzz for Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil mm-hmm. Dinosaur. Lorraine and yeah. I got to see first three episodes. I watched them with my three and a half year old daughter, who was very excited. Oh yeah. But before we get into that, Sam, we got to ask you: What is your Marvel origin story? How did you first hear about the Marvel oh, characters? Boy. You know, was it watching a cartoon, playing a video game, reading a comic? What was it for you?
2: Um, I fell in love with Marvel stuff as a kid with comic books. I I had a very weird childhood. I was a kid actor and I was on a, a national tour of Les Miserables, doing a national tour of a Broadway show. And I went to 26 different cities in a year with this touring production as an actor. And in every city, me and some of the people from the crew would go to a comic book store And that was how we sort of got to know every city that we traveled to all around this wonderful United States. And I started collecting all kinds of great stuff. I collected She-Hulk. I collected... My big one was Fantastic Four, though. I was a big Fantastic Four fiend, so much so that I actually own a Fantastic Four number one.
0: Whoa.
2: It's in awful condition. The whole front (laughs) cover is ripped in half. No, I don't have a hundred thousand dollar comic book. It's garbage, but it's still a number one, and I own it.
1: Yeah, yeah, you do. So were, were you Gavroche?
2: I was Gavroche in Les Mis, Yes, oh. for for a few years. Yeah. So
1: you were a tiny tyke. I was. So then you went on to have a little role that some people would probably be pretty excited about, Peter Parker. In the amazing Spider-Man video game, what was it like to obviously take on one of the most iconic characters of all time?
2: Oh, it was so cool. I mean, I'm certainly not the first Spider-Man and I won't be the last, but it was while I was handed the reins for a couple of games, we did two games in that series together. It was so exciting to voice one of these iconic characters. And also he's just such a fun role to do the voice for because he's got so much personality, so much sass, so much sarcasm, so witty. And it was also great to do the Amazing Spider-Man games because I didn't just do the voice. I was also, I did the motion capture for oh, cool. for Spidey. And so it was wild just, you know, getting physically into his body as well. And I remember the first day of mocap, they were like, okay, in this scene, You crawl in on the ceiling and then drop down. Obviously, we're not going to put you on the ceiling, but just pretend that the floor is the ceiling and we'll flip you upside down later. And I was like, cool. How does Spider-Man crawl? And they were like, you got to figure it out, dude. And so (laughs) I had to I had to figure out Spidey's climb. It was so fun. My body was super sore for days.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The sign of a good time.
0: Yeah. Look, I got to go back to you being a touring actor and going to all these comic shops You're buying comics, going from city to city. What do you do with all of them as a kid? Did you just like your space? Was it just overcome with piles and piles of comics? Were you sending them back home or what were you doing?
2: Uh, I brought boxes with me. I had a couple of shorter boxes on the tour with me. It was a bus and truck tour, which means mainly we traveled by bus. We had a tour bus and we were all allowed, you know, two pieces of luggage. And one of my pieces of luggage was a box of comic books. And I carted it all around with me. But my parents would come visit me on the tour periodically. I was actually traveling with my grandma. She was my guardian and chaperone for the tour while my mom and dad were working. But they would come visit every couple weeks, and I would give them a stack of books to bring back to our house back in Virginia. And they did. And when I got home, I had boxes and boxes and boxes of, of books that I had picked up along the way. And it was such a treat to come home to.
0: So cool. Your parents sound amazing. Your grandma sounds amazing. Yeah. Good time.
1: So obviously, you have to use your voice very well to be in Les Mis as a kiddo. That's a big job. So it makes sense that you would become a voice actor or have Mm -hmm. a great command of your voice. But how did you get into this voice directing and more towards the, the vocal side of things?
2: Sure. I've been acting since I was a kid and then voice acting my entire adult life. I was... Donatello on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for a number of years, and I've done lots of anime and video games. And all of that sort of led to me directing because I worked in a lot of anime productions, and they would usually have some of the actors who worked in dubbing anime help with some of the scripts too, because It's really hard to dub a Japanese anime into English. It's part art, but it's also kind of part science. You have to figure out the way that the mouth moves and how to adapt the scripts from Japanese into English, but do it in a way that matches the lip movement of the characters. And so I was enlisted to help. I had a writing background, so I was enlisted to help write some of those scripts. And who better to direct the actors to perform them than the guy who had written the scripts? So I ended up writing anime, directing anime. I did shows like Naruto and Bleach and all sorts of different dubs. And that was really great to uh, train me as a director, but also to train me in working with different kinds of actors and get to know the voice acting community in Los Angeles. And I've made lifelong friends that way. And so, you know, one day I was over at at Disney as an actor auditioning for something. And I said, "I, I have to leave the audition kind of early i'm so sorry i have to go direct something and they were like wait what you direct too <laughs> and i said yeah i'm a voice director as well and they were like ooh when you're done with your directing gig come back and talk to us cuz we need somebody and they were having interviews for someone to direct a show over there to direct sophia the 1st which turned into this epically amazing show that i was the voice director of and it led to lots and lots of other disney projects. And I've gotten a chance to work on a lot of different shows and using my acting skills to direct other actors. And it's been really rewarding.
0: I love that. And that brings up like a a little piece of advice that I give to folks who will reach out to me and like, hey, can I talk to you about what you do at Marvel, blah, blah, blah. Don't just do one thing, like understand and learn a variety of roles and different parts of the world that you want to inhabit.
2: That's really good advice, though, Ryan. I think I always try to tell young actors or young people getting into the creative field, like, the most important thing to do is to be interested and interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, be interested in everybody else's jobs and figure out, like, how they do it and what they do. And it really endears you to everybody if you genuinely care about, you know, what the audio engineer does and what the editor does. And And also, if you have other interests, like you're in a rock band or you sing Broadway show tunes or you want to be a writer or you are a juggler, any of that stuff, if you're an interesting person, it it really helps people want to get to work with you because they know that you're not just one thing, that you're a a multidimensional person and an interesting person to hang around with.
1: You know, there's so much to that, and I'm so excited to hear about Moon Girl. Obviously, we have known and loved Lunella for, you know, she hasn't been around for the longest time, but for the last almost decade, I think, at this point. What was your familiarity with Moon Girl when you first took on this project, and how did you get into the character and the stories to help you direct this series?
2: Yeah, I hadn't. The Moon Girl comics came about, I think, after my my youth of ingesting comic books regularly. So I I wasn't super familiar with the character when I first heard about the project, but I've gone back and read some of the books and she's such a cool character. It's such a cool dynamic storyline. And I love how her story intersects with other Marvel characters and the Avengers and and Tony Stark and, and all that stuff. It's so cool and it really helps broaden the universe and makes her sort of fit into the world in a really unique way because Lunella isn't like any other Marvel superhero. I mean, she she doesn't have big super muscles. She's not an alien. She's not a mutant. You know, she's just a, a regular kid who happens to be super, super smart. And it's such an interesting take on what a superhero can be. And her background and her location in the city and her The way that she's part of her community and a hero to her community is so inspiring and cool, and I don't know, it just feels like a new way, a new approach on a comic book hero, and it's so cool to be part of bringing that to the screen, you know? I love the characters, and on our animated series, man, the writers have just come up with some really cool storylines and problems to throw Lunella into that I don't think I've seen in cartoons either, like really cool stuff about growing up, relationships, stuff about doubting yourself, stuff about being part of your community and what it means to represent a minority community. And those kinds of stories we don't get to tell in kids' cartoons that much. And it's so cool to be a part of it.
0: Being a part of a minority community, but also being part of such a diverse community with so many different kinds of people with different backgrounds and foods and and like such a huge world inside a small place. And I think that y'all capture that feeling so well. For
2: sure. I mean, New York City and the Lower East Side is definitely like a character in the show. It's definitely a melting pot. There's so many different small communities and it's so vast that it feels like, I don't know, like everyone there is definitely a New Yorker. They're part of the same the same New Yorker team, but everyone has their own little thing uh, and their own little slice of that New York City that they get to sort of exhibit and show off for the others who might just be walking through on their way to the subway or walking home through. And you discover all these amazing restaurants and all these amazing places and vibes that you wouldn't get exposed to if you lived out in the suburbs or somewhere else. And yeah, the show does a really great job of capturing the big soup that is New York City and throwing Lunella into different parts of it and, and really showing it off to the world.
1: I, the big soup. Get out of here, the big apple. I like the big soup better. It's big soup. <laughs> but you know, with that comes like just a phenomenal cast. The folks that you have on the show are absolutely incredible. What has it been like, you know, crafting that neighborhood, bringing it to life with so many phenomenal, wonderful voices and like some really cool stunt casting, honestly? <laughs>
2: Yeah, the cast is incredible. Obviously, Diamond White, our Lunella, holds it down with just, she's got such a poppy personality and she improvises so much in the booth and brings her own personality to the character in such a cool, fun, unique way. She and Libé Barrer, who plays... Casey, they record together. We try to record them together as much as possible, even though Libe lives in in New York and uh, Diamond lives out in California. We sync them up so they're always recording at the same time, and that way they can really play off of each other, make each other laugh, come up with inside jokes together, and they add a lot to scenes. They add extra lines and extra reactions to the scenes when we record them, and it really makes their Their relationship feel authentic, but also it leads to really some funny jokes that wouldn't be there otherwise. But yeah, the guest cast is just bananas. It's incredible. (laughs) Uh, You know, Lawrence Fishburne is one of our producers, and he has just used his Hollywood might to get so many amazing people involved in the show. On another cartoon series, you know, you might get a one-time guest villain bad guy who comes in and and does a role and you know it might go to a really cool voice actor or something but on this show we 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 get people from the cast of hamilton we get academy award nominees we get movie stars to come just be like single episode guest stars and it's just wild the kinds of voices that you're going to hear pop up in these episodes and that it's been a real honor to work with, you know, as a voice director, I get to direct these people who are legends. You know, Lawrence Fishburne is a legend and I get to tell him what to do, <laughs> 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 which is so wild and fun for me. And I hope
0: I don't uh, mess it up. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Honestly. <laughs> you know, thinking about the voice directing of it all, is there a difference in, say, doing voice direction for an anime series, which is directing a from a different language or even a superhero show like Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur to something like my child's current obsession Fancy Nancy are there big differences in these shows I also directed Fancy Nancy so oh, I know I can, I yeah. can <laughs> tell
2: you exactly the differences <laughs> Yes there's definitely differences in in the kinds of animated series that we're making anime is very technical there's a lot of matching lip sync and lip flap There's also a lot of specific reactions that are native to Japanese storytelling and Japanese animation. For a show like Fancy Nancy, it's all about emotion and heart and really teasing out, you know, just the relationships and scenes and and the trials and tribulations of a family and just trying to get the emotions to be as real as possible. Obviously, there are definitely a lot of real emotions and stuff in Moon Girl, but it's sort of a combination. There's also amazing dynamic action fight sequences that we have to sort of imagine in our heads. And so all the characters have to do, you know, all of these grunts and and try to imagine, you know, what it's like. Okay, you're, you're firing, you're your boxing glove contraption, but you're also hanging off a bridge at the time. So you're going to have to be more strained when you do it, but you're also out of breath and you're also screaming because there's police sirens going on, you know, like all this stuff that they have to keep in their head while they're making these sounds and trying to do good acting work. And I don't know, uh, Moon Girl, I think what sort of sets it apart from Doing Japanese animation, for instance, doing original animation like Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur or uh, most of the Disney cartoons, you get to have a little bit more freedom with the acting, the performances, the rhythm of the scenes. If you're dubbing something from a foreign language, you're sort of tied in and, and stuck with the rhythm that, that you get from the original version of the cartoon. But in in our series, we do the voices first, and so we have the freedom to improvise, we have the freedom to add laughs and giggles and gasps, we can slow a scene down if we need to, to get the emotional heart of it just right, and we can speed a scene up a lot if it's a high-stakes action-adventure beat. And really, what I try to tell all the actors who come in is, really, the voice actors of this show, they are the first animators, even before... The real animators get to pick up a pen. We actors have already done a rough draft of what the cartoon is going to feel like with our voices. And so by adding in a big scream or making your voice punctuate a specific word, you're really guiding the animators on how to animate that particular line of dialogue or that scene. It's a lot of freedom that I think the actors have really run with.
1: It's so incredible to have that kind of flexibility. And also when you said the word lip flap, you absolutely sent me because I work on a ton of animation here for our Marvel HQ YouTube channel. Sure. And I spend way too much time talking about lip flap. And it was really nice to hear someone use it casually in conversation (laughs) (laughs) from not my team. I've Um, spent
2: years and years (laughs) looking at lip flap and counting how many syllables are in words. (laughs) It's, uh, It's a blessing and a curse.
1: Absolutely. But you know, speaking of that sort of detail work, what does a day in production look like? You know, you talked about having actors in different places. You know, what does recording look like for you and how do you work with the actors on the day?
2: Yeah, I mean, every recording session is a little bit different, but on a given recording day, we might be working on one main script for most of the day, but also taking little cracks at other scripts. So if we have Uh, lunella and casey in for instance we'll usually take two or three hours with them combined to do really through an entire episode we can get through an entire episode with the two of them in about that long and we just go scene to scene and they play their characters and i play all the other characters in the series for them just so that they have someone to play off of And I even end up doing the sounds that Devil Dinosaur might be making just because we found that, you know, Lunella has whole conversations with Devil and he's just going, But, but it actually makes a difference to hear that because it really ends up sounding more like a conversation. So I'll do the voice of her parents. I'll do the voice of Devil. I'll do the voice of the bad guys. And we just, we read through the entire script that way almost like we're doing a little play. And then when they finish, usually we'll bring in another actor or two to do little bits here and there to play uh, people who work in in the deli or people who work at the school. Or we'll get Fred Tattashore to come in and do his devil dinosaur voices. And we might, with the other actors in that day, we might do two or three different episodes. So we have to sort of reset our mind every 10 minutes to like, okay, wait, which episode was this again? Oh, yes, it's the one where, whatever, she loses her powers. Or, oh, it's the one where uh, the aliens attack. And we all sort of have to shake it off and quickly move on to the next storyline. And it's really fun because we get to see a whole bunch of actors on, on a given day, five or six different actors. We get to touch three or four different scripts. And by the end of it, we've accomplished what, you know, live action tries to accomplish in shooting for a week, and we get to do it in four or five hours. (laughs) Um, But yeah, the actors are located all over the world, all over the country, and uh, we've recorded folks in other countries, in other cities. When we can, now that things with the pandemic have calmed down a little bit, we have people come into the studio, and it's been really great to get people back in the booth again. There's a different energy and a different vibe when you're working with actors in person. And I'm very grateful that we get to do that again. But even folks who are doing it over Zoom, we're so good at it at this point that it's seamless when we record people remotely. And in some ways, it's actually advantageous because when you're recording remotely over Zoom, you can overlap the dialogue with each other and it won't ruin the other person's take. Like when you're in a studio together, if two actors are in a room... They're not allowed to talk over each other because it's uneditable that way. But if one is on Zoom and one is in the studio, they can talk over each other all they want. And uh, they'll be recorded discreetly.
0: And so we can edit them out. And it's wonderful.
1: Don't we know it, Ryan?
0: Yes. (laughs) you know, thinking about all the characters that these actors inhabit or you inhabit, too. Obviously, when you're voicing someone really well-known like a Donatello or someone that we're creating to lead a show like Moon Girl... There's probably a lot of direction in the scripts and the page and the concept of everything. But when we have actors coming in to play villains or or guest characters, how much of their voices, their characters are created beforehand? Are you collaborating with them on? What's that process like? When If I come in and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to play MODOK this episode, and I'm
2: going to be like this.
0: (laughs) Are you like, great, love the energy, but here's what we've got.
2: (laughs) Yes. I mean, it it really depends. If it's a big villain of an episode or a multi-episode villain, the writers and the producers obviously have some idea of what they want going into it. And the person that we bring in to record will be chosen because they already sort of have a similar voice print or at least, you know, we know that the range that they have sort of matches the vibe that we're looking for. They might come in with an idea like like your amazing Modoc, you. <laughs> uh, And a lot of times... These fantastic actors that we have come in with an idea that is a little different from the one that we had in the back of our heads. And it's a wonderful discovery process. You know, we'll tell them what the idea that's in our head, they'll tell us the idea that's in their head, or they'll show us the voice. And sometimes we can come up with sort of a third way, which is not quite the same as as either of us started, but is something unique and cooler, possibly. It's a bit of a collaboration in that way. Other times, when it's a random fella on the street in New York and we just need somebody to say, hey, Lunella, go get him, or something like that, I mean, <laughs> we might throw one of those voices to Fred Tattashore, for, for instance. And, you know, he'll do the first thing that pops into his mind, and then we'll sort of confer about it and say, Oh, actually, Fred, you know what? We have a guy who sounds just the same in an earlier scene. Can you change it up? And he'll say, Great, great. How about this voice, then? He can be this guy. And we'll say, You know what? We have too much New York in this in this episode. Can you be a different guy? And he'll say, How about the Russian guy who's walking down the street? And we're like, Great, yeah, do that. So it's, <laughs> it's much more freeform. We figure it out in the room. But for the larger characters, we usually go into it having a pretty strong idea of what we want it to sound like.
1: It sounds like so much fun. And, you know, something I think that makes this the series so unique, especially, is the musical component of it. For folks who are starting to take it in, it slaps, as the kids Mm -hmm. say. The Mm -hmm. music is nothing but bangers, as far as the Mm -hmm. ear can hear.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: What is it like collaborating? I assume there's a musical team. What is it like sort of collaborating and connecting on the musical element of the show?
2: Disney is amazing in that they do have a full music department. And also this show has Rafael Sadiq doing the music for it, a legendary musician mastermind. And so... Yeah, they have experts handling it. I also come from a musical background, so if there's ever a moment, and there's been a few in the series recording where they're like, Hey, Sam, can you just grab this one line from Diamond? We need to her to redo this one line or whatever. I'm happy to step in, but my job is mostly the dialogue, and I don't have to deal with the musical <laughs> elements as much as on some other shows. But it is cool also that the music in this show doesn't just mean singing mm-hmm. or rapping. The music on this show is really integrated into the storytelling. There's these mixtape moments where, you know, it's like a needle drop song and Lunella or Moon Girl has just an incredible action sequence all set to just a thrilling, super cool, modern top 40 hit song or an original song that Sadiq has made. And a lot of the action that we have to vocalize, you know, the punches and grunts and jumps and stuff kind of have to fall into that rhythm or sync up to an audio cue. And so we'll listen to the music or if the animation has already been done, we'll go back and, and play through the scene so we can see, you know, how to punctuate or emphasize certain moments musically with the vocals. And it's really integrated into the story kind of seamlessly so that you really can't have Moon Girl without the music. And you can't have music without Moon Girl.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Or the roller skates.
0: That's right. <laughs> Any fun sort of behind-the-scenes moments that you can share with our listeners or anything that you're just excited for fans to check out? I mean, behind the scenes, it's just real fun to work on
2: this show. Everyone's a delight, and they really care about the character of Lunella. They, all the characters, the writing staff and producers are so dedicated to making this a real slice of not just New York City, but a slice of so many different cultures and backgrounds, and it's so cool to see that on screen. I'm trying to think if there's anything like fun and interesting about how we made the series. I think for most of season one, a lot of that, especially the Lunella Moon Girl stuff, was recorded, you know what, and Casey's stuff. In fact, pretty much all the stuff in season one was recorded in people's bedrooms and closets. Diamond recorded most of season one. I think she was sitting in her bed at home because it was the quietest spot in her house. And she had a little mic set up, and we could see, you know, like the decorations on her wall. (laughs) So everything that you're hearing, all these action sequences, she was just (laughs) sitting on the edge of her bed (laughs) the, the whole time, which is hilarious. Yeah, there's just a lot of great moments that I'm excited for the audience to see, and a lot of great stories that really haven't been told yet in any cartoon that I've ever worked on.
1: Are there any episodes or moments from the show that you're most excited for people to get a look at?
2: Um, I mean, you're going to see a new character. Well, not a new character, but the Beyonder, Lawrence's character gets to have a lot of fun and he pops up in, in very unique and interesting ways. Sometimes doesn't sound like himself. Sometimes he'll sound like other characters But he really shines in a couple of episodes. I don't think you'll be able to tell at the beginning if he's a good guy, if he's a bad guy, if he's somewhere in between. And it's going to be a fun evolution of his character to really see how he winds up, friend or foe. We get to go to Coney Island more than once or twice, which is a real place, and we get to check that out. There's some great scenes in the roller rink with Lunella's mom. She's a DJ, and she's spinning some sweet tunes during some great sequences in the roller rink. Oh, and you can also, if you want to be a technical nerd, you can listen to Devil Dinosaur, because Fred Tatasciore, the voice of Devil, does some incredible stuff with his voice. If you are an audio nerd, you might be able to tell that For some of his roars and grunts and growls and stuff, Fred does this thing where he does he'll record a roar and then he'll record the same roar but only doing just the bass layer, like just the and then he'll record it a third time just doing like the treble layer and then we take all three of those layers and mix them together to make one gigantic sound and it's really outstanding and it's something that he sort of brought to the table that is wild to listen to.
1: A Fred is a legend. I love his Hulk too. Before we let you go, we have to ask you about the legend of Vox Machina mm-hmm. and all the good stuff you're doing with Critical Role. For anyone who's not familiar with this world, because the evolution of it is incredible, would you give us just a little bit about how Critical Role became about and its evolution?
2: Sure, sure. So I'm part of this thing called Critical Role, and it's a bunch of voice actors like myself. A bunch of years ago, we started playing D&D together, and we broadcast ourselves playing this game every week on Twitch. If you go to twitch.tv slash Critical Role, every Thursday night you can watch us playing this game. But the stories and the lore and the characters from this this role-playing game that we play became sort of beloved by us, but also developed a fan community around it, affectionately called The Critters. And those fans supported us. We had an idea to make an animated series and we wanted to self-fund, self-finance a pilot. And so our fan base, we did a Kickstarter and we raised enough money to make a pilot. In fact, we raised so much money in this Kickstarter. We broke all kinds of records. We raised over $11 million. And it was so much money that we had enough to make an entire season of episodes our great friends at Amazon stepped in and said, hey, why don't we take that season of television that you're about to start making and why don't we make it two seasons? And so they they paid for the second one and we were off to the races. We've made two seasons now of this show called The Legend of Vox Machina, which is action adventure and a comedy series. It's not for kids, but it is <laughs> <Nope>. really fun. <laughs> and it's on Prime Video and it's been just an amazing project to work on because it's something that we just created out of love for these characters and out of friendship with each other and playing a game by ourselves. And we had no intention of making it into anything other than just a game that we enjoyed, but it's become this whole thing. And it's out now. The second season is out. So if you want to go watch it, I would highly encourage you to if you're over the age of, say, 16. And (laughs) um, yeah, it's, it's a thrill to work on.
1: I have to say just a, a quick shout out to you guys, because during the pandemic in particular, it was so nice to just feel like you're hanging out with friends and playing a game. It was really, truly delightful. So I just wanted to give a shout out. Love the show. Folks, check it out if you're into some D&D good times and parent advisories. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's great. And yeah, you're right. It's a fun thing to listen to it. And it's uh, you can listen to it as a podcast as well. And The episodes on Twitch and YouTube are extremely long. They're great to have on in the background, (laughs) but if you want something that's a little tighter, the animated series is is the way to go.
1: Oh, Sam, it was so delightful talking with you. Me too. Um, As we release you into the wild, is there anywhere folks should follow you or look out for what you've got coming next?
2: Oh boy, I mean, yeah, definitely check out Critical Role. You can also go to critrole.com. Check out the Legend of Vox Machina on prime Video. It's available now two seasons worth, and you can always follow me at Twitter at Sam Regal. But um, yeah, I hope people tune into Moon Girl and Double Dinosaur. It's a thrill ride. it's got laughs, it's got action, it's got smarts and
0: it's got superheroes.
1: There you have it.
0: What more can we ask for? All right, time for our question of the week and thinking about, of course, the big, giant, amazing new film out this week. Let's think about a question based around Kang, because he can travel through time and space and and universes, it seems. It's wild. So if you had Kang's abilities and powers and technology, where in the Marvel multiverse and when in the Marvel multiverse would you go?
1: I would go to like the X-Mansion around the 80s when all the girls would go on shopping trips and stuff to the mall. And I would go shopping with the ladies. I'd just have like a girls weekend with the X-Ladies at the mall. Mm-hmm. Just seems nice. Just be fun. Have some quality time. When Janet and She-Hulk was staying at Janet's apartment, just like yeah. go over, hang out.
0: I would go into the X-Men animated series reality for a, mm. a hot second. I would grab Gambit from whatever he's doing, (laughs) switch him out for Morph, so that instead of Morph getting killed, Gambit gets killed. Wow. And so, like, I would do that and then make sure that Gambit gets killed. Everybody hear that? Gambit gets killed. Wow. And so that we save sweet, sweet Morph, so he could just do all his great impressions and all his yuck yucks. That would be one place. And then I'd probably hop around and I would jump into Infinity Gauntlet number five, Because obviously like I'm just like free of everything and I would just watch the big cosmic battle between Thanos and all the abstracts and, and celestials and pieces of reality and just like probably throw up in my helmet because it'd be so wild. And then I'd probably bop around a bunch of other places.
1: I also wouldn't mind like swinging by the just the 90s in general to see the outfits like early 90s. Get some mullets, some oh, pouches, yeah. some like real French cut, like high waisted bikini bottoms, over pants. Like, oh, that's what I'm there for. So
0: good. I realized I want to just save characters, so I would like go into Uncanny X Men 282. Yours is so
1: much nicer than mine. I'm like, I'm just Uh, there for the fashion, and you want to like
0: change history. Well, I would also be like Malcolm, Randall, Bishop. Y'all look fresh, and then I would take Malcolm and Randall and save them because it's always broken my heart that Bishop's two besties got killed as soon as he 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 caused them to die. There's so much, so much there. My heart breaks. Probably save Gwen Stacy, which would ruin a lot of stories. Like I'm ruining timelines by saving people.
1: Honestly, I feel like that's too much. Like, I don't want to have that much butterfly effect going on. I
0: don't care. I'm ruinous. I am Let here to mess with everything. <laughs> Good deeds and destroying note, everything.
1: <laughs> you can tweet us your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com. Or you could send us a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thisweekinmarvel. And of course, please tell us if it is quote unquote okay to read on the show so we can read it on the show. Like we we're gonna do right now before yeah. we ruin the timeline.
0: Mm, we'll see. I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin the hell out of it. All right. Our question of the week last week was: What are you most looking forward to in Marvel Studios' Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania? First up was Karis Pollard at A. Karis Pollard, who said, "I'm really just looking forward to spending more time with Scott Lang and seeing his relationship with Cassie." I'm also excited because Layla is having her first sleepover with her grandma to let us see it late and have dinner out, a rare treat. Karis has this beautiful big doggy, Layla and Lorraine. You know, you have a million dogs. A like, million you can't dollars. do anything because they need all the attention.
1: It's so nice. They are needy. Well, I'm so glad that you get to have a night off and you got mm-hmm. a doggy sitter. Yeah. Next up, we got Tommy at Not Wedge, who said, Seeing Kang, my favorite villain from the comics, played by a phenomenal actor. Like, Jonathan Majors. I love Jonathan Majors. He is such a good actor. I absolutely fell in love with him as an actor when he was in Lovecraft Country.
4: Oh, just That show
1: is so good. He's so good in it. Yeah. He's such a force. Yeah. And Oof. it's such exciting casting to see him in this film.
0: Yeah. We've just started watching the entire Rocky slash Creed franchise yeah. because I'm I'm like... Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors, with their shirts off for four hours, boxing at each other—abs versus abs. Only one abs will abs. Incredible, incredible. Also, they're incredible actors, and so I'm, I'm here for it. So, I, yeah, we're, we're watching that to get to Jonathan Majors and Michael B. Jordan. Very exciting. But we also have more tweets in here. One from Ethan at geekin' out Ethan, who says the villains, Kang the Conqueror and MODOK, that's one of the most exciting things to see in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Look, Ethan said it. I didn't say it. I'm still on, like, not spoiling it, but y'all, I'm gonna lose it next week when we really start to talk about it. Andrew Nickerson at Andrew Nickers 19 says some chance of finding out what happened to that derivative of the Pym particle formula stolen in the original Ant-Man film.
1: Youagor mm. 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 at youagor777 said, I would love to see Wong on a post credit scene, no matter if it makes sense or not. <laughs> um, I just like that general wish for yourself. Just Wongers and Madison. That's all we Look. want.
0: Put it out into the world. Give us that Wong energy. We need it. We need more Wong in the world. This is true. We got an email from JC who said, I'm super excited for the movie. I think the thing that most excites me most is Jonathan Majors as Kang. I feel like the Ant-Man family is not prepared for the damage he's going to cause to them and probably the MCU at large very soon. We just barely got over Thanos' attack, and now we have another huge threat to deal with. I can't wait to see Kang be an awesome villain and Jonathan's probably top-tier performance. Keep on being amazing and making this podcast the highlight of my week. Thanks, JC.
1: Aww. All right, next up, we got an email from Antonio who said, The thing I'm looking forward to most when I go see Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania opening weekend, besides everything, is the development of Cassie Lang as she becomes a more major character and a hero herself. I first got into Marvel Comics a few years ago, shortly after my daughter was born, so I was instantly drawn to the great dad slash hero, Scott Lang. The relationship between Scott and Cassie is one of the sweetest and most compelling in both the books and the Films, and it will be great to see Cassie join Kate Bishop, Kamala Khan, and all the other fierce young heroes making their way into the MCU. I love this, it's so true. There's so many great stories with Scott and Cassie, and getting to see their relationship bloom is definitely something that you know I think everyone is looking forward to more of in the MCU. And what a great time to be a teen hero! Lots of really great teen heroes popping up in mm-hmm. the MCU.
0: All right. One last email. This one's from Ken, who said, I am looking forward to seeing what they have in store for Cassie Lang. Make mine Marvel. I've been a fan since 1975. Love it, Ken. Love, love, love. I, and I really like all the Cassie attention and excitement is friggin great.
1: Oh, there's so many good things and people and there's stuff in it in the movie that we can't talk about, but it's fun.
0: It's real fun. We're going to talk about it more next week. Go see it, go see it, go see it, go enjoy it, go love it, and then get ready to talk about it with us next week because we're done here. This episode of This Week of Marvel is produced by Kara McGurk, Allison, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos.
1: Our Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development is Brad
0: Barton. Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio.
1: And special thanks to Modoc's TikToks. Modoc's TikToks, where Modoc goes to do little cute dances, maybe some recipes, day in the life. Um, what I eat in a day, um, TikToks, Modocs, Modocs, TikToks, get yours today.
0: it will be so good. <laughs> anyway, I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel.
1: Your universe.